Welcome to The Interop. This show is all about exploring the decentralized economic networks that make up the interchain. And my hope is to gain a better understanding of the topology of these networks, the technologies that make them possible, and the opportunities for developers and investors. My name is Sebastian Cuchillo. Today, I'm speaking with Joe Bowman. Joe is the CEO of Quicksilver. It's an upcoming liquid staking protocol for the interchain. It's a project that I'm super excited about because I think liquid staking as a core primitive for DeFi opens up lots of opportunities for innovation in DeFi on the interchain. This interview was recorded in mid-March, and at that time, Juno Prop 16 was still being voted on, and we spent a good portion of the interview talking about Prop 16. Um, And so some of this conversation seems a bit dated, but I think fundamentally the core points we're trying to make about governance uh, are still relevant. And then we spent a good part of the conversation also talking about Quicksilver, how it works, and the opportunities for DeFi uh, in the interchain. There were a number of issues here with this recording. Uh, Joe's internet kept dropping off, and so we've I've tried to make uh, make this as sort of coherent as possible uh, with the edits, and also the interview drops off a bit abruptly at the end uh, because his internet also uh, dropped off uh, towards the end of the interview. Uh, but I, I hope you'll enjoy this conversation nonetheless. I'm still figuring out this whole live stream video thing. I'm I'm an audio podcaster. Uh, and so doing YouTube videos is still something that I'm figuring out. But thanks for sticking around as I'm learning to do this and um, sticking with me uh, also throughout the, the little mishaps. So with that, here's my conversation with Joe Bowman. I'm here with Joe Bowman. He's the uh, CEO of Quicksilver, which is a liquid staking protocol on Cosmos. And uh, I'm going to be speaking to him today about, you know, the interchain, uh, interchain security, uh, interchain accounts, and also liquid staking. But I'm like, I really want to like dig into some of the technical bits here. Because I, I think like a lot of people have interviewed you and talked to you about liquid staking and like I don't want to diminish any of that of what you're doing, but like I really want to get deep into how this all works and particularly with all the updates and everything that are coming to Cosmos and that make this possible. And then maybe uh, also more of the more of the long-term implications for like a, a, a native liquid staking protocol on Cosmos. You were working at Chorus One previously. Of course, uh, you know um, those who know Epicenter also know Chorus One. So you know it's it's kind of keeping keeping it in the family here. Um, what's the story behind like how you you know got hired at? Cor- I think you were the first. Were you the first employee there? I was. Uh, I think the, the third in, third employee at Chorus. Um, so Felix, obviously, who is the the, the CCO, uh, joined just before me. Um, and I think I think there was uh, another technical guy, Amma, who joined uh, slightly earlier. Um, but yeah, obviously things did, didn't work out with him. So yeah, I think between myself and Felix, we were the uh, the long term uh, employees there that uh, that say lasted this day. And uh, yeah, Felix obviously lasted a slightly longer than I did. <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean, so so I was looking up I was looking up before, and I, I realized I didn't really have a lot of your background, but like you, you came from more like web development, PHP, DevOps, uh, before, uh, getting into crypto. Yeah. So my, my kind of, uh, my training, um, was called my master's degree was, was in, uh, cryptography and forensics. And I went and worked with, um, a private firm, but doing work with uh, the police, uh, and, and, um, central government for examining, uh, seized computers. Doing, doing computer forensics on those, uh, which was a, a f- absolutely fascinating uh, job, but also uh, there was a lot of uh, quite macabre stuff that um, it kind of coincided with uh, the birth of my first daughter. So kind of th- that combination didn't work so well for me. So I, I kind of gave that in and um, went back to, to web development, which I was doing as a, as a teenager um, when I was at school. So um, kind of from there, yeah, I, I stuck in web development for a while around PHP for for my sins, um, and it was it was doing that that I kind of I, I fell out of love with development a little bit. I um, I think this this whole notion of not building anything new and just coding something that other people have done a dozen times over 
um, didn't really appeal to me an awful lot. So I, I started, and this is kind of along the time, along the time of the, the advent of DevOps as a, as a culture. Um, and I started, uh, say, looking into, into DevOps and, and with the same company kind of ended up progressing into a DevOps type role. Um, uh, and I, I say eventually ends up becoming the, the, manager of the production uh, environments there at that company. So that was kind of my, my entry into DevOps. I did a, a period of time at um, a, a UK uh, government health project called the 100,000 Genomes Project, which was uh, in itself was a massively exciting um, piece of work, which was essentially uh, taking the, the genomes of 100,000 patients uh, with cancers and like, uh, chronic illnesses, rare diseases, um, and, and kind of comparing those against a like baseline good human uh, DNA sequence, um, and then essentially using that for diagnostic medicine. So this is something that is, is the project's still ongoing. It's it's way surpassed this uh, 100,000 mark now. But um, in terms of the kind of the magnitude of that project, I think the, the impact that could have in the future could be huge. And then yeah, from there, um, that's kind of when I came across I came across crypto and started get, dipping my toes in the uh, the crypto pond. Um, via via a friend I was working with at the time, and then uh, yeah, and then I think I, I was looking for a job and came across the advert of for Chorus, which was we need someone who can do DevOps and is interested in crypto, and that kind of I fit the bill perfectly for that. It was me indeed. So so uh, so those other people from Chorus who are part of the Quicksilver team, uh, I believe there's two other. Uh, former chorus um, employees that have left and are building Quicksilver. And now you've got like, I think you said earlier, your team was six people. Yeah. So we've got um, Roya and Vish who are, who are my co-founders with me. They were both uh, with me at Chorus. Um, Vish is on the, the product side, Cor- uh, Roya on the operation side. So between us, we kind of cover most of the bases of uh, a new startup needs. Um, and we've, added to that team over the course of the last uh, two months with um, three employees. So we've got uh, Valeria who joined us on the marketing side. So she's heading up our, our, our social media campaigns and doing a, an absolutely sterling job of uh, interacting with the likes of yourself and uh, getting the, the word of Quicksilver out there. All my interactions with her have been like very, very great, by the way. So <laughs> she, she seems like she's on the ball. That's good to hear. I'll, I'll feed her back. <laughs> And then, um, yeah, we've also then got Billa and Maria who have joined us uh, in the last month on the technical side, and they're going to um, say work with me to, uh, to to flesh out the both back end and front end of the application, so that it's ready for these uh, the fo- all the folks that in, in the ecosystem that want to use it uh, in hopefully in a few months' time. So yeah, let, let's get right into it. And like, um, I, I mean, I think I think it you know bears outlining you know what is the problem statement here and what. Quicksilver does, and you know, I, I, uh, I want to get into some of the technical stuff after, but like, you know, for those of the people who are listening who haven't heard of Quicksilver or maybe need a reminder of what it is, um, give give us a high level overview. Sure. So, the kind of the problem statement around uh, Quicksilver is one of capital efficiency. So, within the Cosmos ecosystem and, and proof of stake generally. Uh, for, for the most part, you have obviously um, delegators are delegating to validators, uh, and their delegation acts as a security deposit. You know, this is it's probably all very uh, familiar to, to a lot of your listeners. Um, and this security deposit can get slashed in the event of misbehaviour, whether it's uh, persistent downtime or whether it's uh, double signing. And uh, with with the advent of new protocols, uh, there'll be different misbehaviour elements that can be added to these to these chains. But the, the, the crux of this is that only 5% of that value that a delegator stakes to a validator is slashable, which means you've got 95% of this capital just sat there doing absolutely nothing. It can't be slashed. It can't be otherwise used. It's a liquid. Um, and when it comes to the, the fruition of a, of a new DeFi ecosystem on Cosmos, that's a lot of capital to have locked up and not be usable. So what we want to achieve uh, at Quicksilver is to give users uh, the ability to stake with uh, with, their, with, their, with their validator of choice, uh, to continue to secure 
the the blockchains that they have obviously invested heavily in, um, but also to to make use of that additional capital to uh, use another use other applications. Now, if we look at the, some of the numbers around this, we've currently got I think in the region of like this the the forty IBC chains connected or in that region now, um, and this includes the likes of Terra and Osmosis and Juno and Cosmos Hub, which are themselves really big chains. And across these chains, these, these 40 IBC connected chains, we actually have uh, in the region of, I think, $48 uh, billion of capital staked on these networks. Um, now, the average staking rate is around 60, 50, 60%, slightly higher potentially. But so there's, there's a whole bunch, there's lots of capital that is, that is not staked that could be staked, but presumably isn't because users want liquidity. Um, and the flip side of it is that we have in these networks, $40 billion of capital that is staked that is currently not accessible and we can't use. Now, obviously, if, if we're trying to drive forwards this uh, burgeoning uh, IBC, or sorry, DeFi ecosystem uh, on IBC, then an extra $40 billion of capital uh, in that market is going to be quite handy. So that's, that's kind of what we want to achieve at a very high level with Quicksilver is uh, essentially allow users to unlock that, that capital and, and use their capital more efficiently. Yeah, I think that's a great great way to put it is like the capital efficiency uh, uh, aspect. I, I see it as um, like a question of, I mean, from, from the user side, it's like a, a question of choice. It, it opens up choices and it opens up more avenues for how to use your capital. And, you know, currently you, you can do either one of two things with your capital, maybe three. It's like you can either stake, you can, you, you can, you can uh, participate in DeFi or you can hold it, which... I guess like some people do, uh, but primarily you can stake or you can participate in DeFi. Like staking is a low risk, more conservative approach to generating passive income, but you're also participating in you're securing the network, which is generally seen as a good thing. Um, you know, the rewards vary depending on the chains, but you know, if you're doing compounding staking, you know, that can mean a decent amount of, uh, of passive income, but there's just like all these opportunities that, as a holder of cryptocurrencies, you can participate in and you can opt for more high risk strategies or more low risk strategies, depending on your risk appetite. And um, and, and staking kind of limits you from participating in these opportunities. And I see it just as a, a way you know, from the user perspective um, or the investor perspective to participate in in, um, in staking and securing the network, uh, all, that, all of the kind of good karma that comes with that, whether it's airdrops or just having a stable blockchain and um, and at the same time participate in DeFi and actually make use of assets, which which is what people do to live. Right? Like, I mean, you need people to utilize your assets if you're going to uh, want to acquire things. Liquid staking has existed for, for some time. Like everybody's familiar with Lido and uh, all the other liquid staking protocols that exist on like Solana and Near. And what's like, What's particular about Cosmos in terms of you know implementation, uh, but also just because the landscape is so different than say you know, Ethereum, where all of your applications are on one chain, you have one staking token essentially, which is Ether. Um, you know, Cosmos is so such a much a much more complex ecosystem where each chain has their own validator set, so therefore each chain has their own staking token. You know, what what give us the give us the kind of you know, overview of how different and where are the blind spots here? Because, you know, I talked about a couple of things that are a little obvious, but there might be, I think there's other blind spots around how staking is different in these two ecosystems. There's a couple of things that spring to mind. The first is, is you, know, you alluded to there, where you have uh, lots of different staking tokens, lots of different um, sovereign blockchains in their own right. So if we follow the approach um, that has been taken on other networks, so Near and Solana and, uh, and Ethereum, where you have uh, these traditional liquid staking methods of stake your token, get back uh, some some representative token um, that you can use in its stead. The problem with that in the Cosmos ecosystem is that you need to have an implement implementation of that per chain, uh, per, per staking token. So none of these existing solutions have had to deal with the fact that you can have 40 different uh, staking to tokens within the, the uh, IBC ecosystem. And so that there isn't currently a uh, a way to align 
the existing liquid staking uh, methods with with the interchain. And I think the second fundamental difference between uh, the Cosmos SDK based networks and uh, things like Ethereum and Solana is this uh, this governance part of the network. And obviously, as we've seen in the last week, um, governance is, is incredibly powerful, uh, incredibly powerful part of the Cosmos SDK network. Um, and it's it's one of those things that obviously is, is now at the forefront of everyone's attention because of Prop 16. But I think that's all that's done for the ecosystem is, is brought a lot more attention to governance and how important governance is. If you look at the participation rates on, on Prop 16, it was phenomenal, the, the turnout for that vote. However contentious the the choices and the result were, um, I think it's definitely become something that is, is way more, more at the forefront of everyone's mind uh, than it historically was. But I think it's one of those things that makes uh, Cosmos SDK really, really powerful is this governance model. Now, the problem that comes with this the Cosmos governance model is that as a delegator, you are able to obviously dele- you delegate your stake to uh, a validator. And the default position is what, whatever that validator chooses to vote in a, uh, in a governance proposal, you inherit unless you otherwise take action to vote and override their vote. Um, And this is one of the things that we we, we saw with Quicksilver, is that um, if we take, a, a, for example, the the existing liquid staking uh, model of you, or the the, the, um, smart contract or the protocol, however it is implemented, uh, controls your delegation, and it mints you a, a representative token uh, in, in its set, as, as is done everywhere else. Um, the problem there is that you don't have that ability anymore to override your validator's vote. Now, the that, that obviously means that you don't get the don't get the choice to override it. You have to sit with the decision of the validator that you have chosen. Now, this is fine if you get to choose the validator. Some of these liquid staking protocols enforce. Your, your vote to be spread or your, your stake to be spread across multiple validators. So in which case you don't get to choose which of those validators you are closely aligned with. So you get no say whatsoever. Um, some of these protocols are very restrictive in the number of validators they use for whatever whatever technical reason there is for it. And, and they are perfectly valid reasons for doing it this way. But the implementation is such that in a lot of cases, there is a small subset of validators um, so even if you get to choose which of those validators uh, you specifically stake with, or which you know, whichever one inherits your vote, um, you don't get a say in uh, in the outcome of, of a vote. You, you are very much uh, at the behest of that validator's choice. Um, and obviously, we saw what we saw with Juno um, again, again, probably because it is the first really contentious vote. That's happened uh, in the ecosystem. I mean, there have probably been others, but to a much smaller scale and much less public scale. Um, the number of of users that did override their validators' choices goes to show what a big problem this is. The I think the, the the final issue with this governance piece is if you combine these two concepts of a very small subset of validators uh, that are essentially whitelisted by a protocol and uh, in addition, not being able to override the validator's vote, you end up with an awful lot of governance power. Uh, assuming uh, assuming protocol A becomes the, the dominant liquid staking solution, you end up with an awful lot of voting power uh, in a proposal in the hands of a very small number of people. Now, these uh, companies are generally kind of the, the top 10 validators anyway. Within these companies, there might be one or two people that, that handle, per company, that handle their, um, their governance stuff. So actually what ends up you end up having is a massively disproportionate amount of power in the hands of not only uh, a small number of legal entities, but actually a small number of, of human beings that get to make those choices. And that's not good for uh, the future of the, the, the governance in the ecosystem. Yeah, I think that's the thing that I, I hadn't really thought of so much is, is um, when... Yeah, it, it hadn't occurred to me that, you know, in the end, there's like, there's a person, right, that's working at a validator. And maybe, you know, the team gets to make decisions. But ultimately, you know, there's one person that's making that's that's signing the transaction to vote on a governance proposal. And without 
um, the ability for users to override the, like, like you said, like you, you, uh, you reduce that to like an electoral college sort of thing. Um, something that looks like kind of like an electoral Which we've, college. Which we've seen hasn't worked in, in, in traditional politics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I did want to ask you about the Juno thing and, um, yeah, it was wild watching that. I mean, like, I I was I was paying attention to it over the weekend, and and I I hosted like a, a brief Twitter Spaces to get different opinions across on, on what was happening. And you know, my 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 position was that I felt that the arguments that at least people were making on Twitter that I was kind of arguing with on Twitter were coming from a bad place, like they were made in bad faith. You know, I think my my sentiment was that. The adversarial, the adversarial model in which we exist means that this thing can happen, right? As long as you're, if you're, if you're making an airdrop on an open decentralized blockchain where civil resistance is nearly impossible, you have to live with the consequence that this can happen unless you put in better, um, you know, better protections against it. And the the whole argument about you know there having been written rules that would prevent this from happening i think is like just a, an argument a nonsensical argument in the context of crypto um what i'm curious what your position is and i think more more broadly what do you think this signals for the ecosystem what what kind of precedent do you think this sets and you know what are the long term repercussions going to be here um i was very vocal back in when, when prop 4 hit about um, what kind of precedent it could set to confiscate tokens from from any user. Um, now, one of the reasons that I feel very so strongly about blockchain is is the fact that it gives everyone a an equal footing, um, and it gives everyone you know, this this uh, this censorship resistance. You, you you cannot be censored by a single entity, whether it's a, a government or a, a bank or any kind of organization doesn't have the power to say you cannot have a, a vote, you cannot have, you cannot hold tokens, you can't, whatever. So I think, yeah, I was, I was quite vocal back in um, whenever Prop 4 hit, uh, this, this last year's turned into a bit of a blur, but uh, about how, how potentially dangerous this could be. I don't think my position on that has changed, or how much, how much weight Cordev's opinion has and, and how important it is for those governance proposals to be written in a way that is factual, uh, not based on supposition, uh, without emotion. And I don't think that happened this time around. And hopefully that's something that will come out in the wash and we'll see a few few more of these uh, these proposals come through and we'll get to a place um, throughout the the, the interchain where there is a standard, a de facto standard of this is what a good governance proposal looks like. I know that, that Gav from Figment was was working on this early in the days of, of Cosmos with the, the Cosmos Governance um, Working Group. And I know that they did a whole bunch of work around this, uh, and it would be good to come to some acceptable standard uh, across the, the ecosystem that you know, all, all good governance proposals look like X. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's important. You know, mind you, like, e- even though I was opposed to the argument, like, I thought the arguments weren't good and, like, the, the information provided and, and sort of the context for the governance proposal was was um, was inaccurate, this is also part of the adversarial model, right? Like, I mean, this is also part of, like, the model in which we exist. And if, if, governments, if governance exists, it can also, uh, it's, it's also... Um, uh, perfectly fine for it to have this this impact. It's just it's just too bad, I think, for the Juno ecosystem that you know we essentially had a governance proposal pass on, you know, a, I'd say some amount of misinformation and and um, and uh, a badly drafted proposal. But um, yeah, let's. Um, I'm curious to see what will happen now because now we're going to have to have the implementation, and uh, I think lots of debates can happen until then as to how this actually gets implemented if it does. So from from my personal point of view, uh, just just seeing um, uh, how how engaged the community was uh, is is absolutely fantastic. To see that kind of response on something that, that was so contentious um, is really awesome to to see it all in progress. Yeah, so let's bring it back to Quicksilver. I just wanted to talk about that real quick. But um, so Quick Quicksilver is uh, I think if I'm if I'm right here, there's two fundamental technologies that make Quicksilver possible. 
interchain security and interchain accounts. Am I missing are there other things that I'm missing here, or that is that's kind of the crux of it? There, so interchain security in itself is not a required uh, dependency. It's something we've chosen to use, and we'll come on to that kind of in a in a, in a I guess a later piece, but. Um, in-chain accounts is the, is the crux of it. That's the, the main thing that makes this possible is the fact that a, a sovereign zone uh, in the IBC ecosystem can now, using interchain accounts as of IBC version 3, um, can control accounts on other, other blockchains. And this is um, something that uh, previously you could, you could do some uh, implementation of a multi-sig that was controlled by a bunch of different validators, and that's one of the technical reasons that some of the existing solutions have a small subset, a subset of validators is because they use a multi-sig to control uh, where, you know, where deposits uh, or how deposits are handled in other chains. So the, the fact we can have this, this validator set of 125 plus, well, however, however many, 100, 100 plus validators, um, and they come to consensus over what this account is going to do because of the logic on the chain, on the, as implemented in the module. Um, and then they can you know, take actions on behalf of the chain uh, on on some remote blockchain. Um, and that, that's that kind of that technology underpins everything that Quicksilver does. There's another key piece to us that again isn't an absolute requirement, um, but actually it does make uh, the, the whole Quicksilver proposition that much more attractive. And that's the work that, that Zaki and the team at Occlusion have done on this liquidity staking module. So again, this will be something that comes into the row release of Cosmos SDK, so 0.46. Um, and this essentially allows you to tokenize your delegation and uh, convert your delegation without unbonding into uh, into tokens that are specific to you and the validator that you have um, delegated to. And then you can send those tokens to another account. So what we do with when you're on board to Quicksilver is those, dele those tokenized delegations get sent to the Quicksilver deposit account. And that deposit account is an interchain account that is controlled by the Quicksilver validator set. On the Quicksilver zone, you then get minted the corresponding number of Q atoms uh, for the, an example of the of Cosmos Hub. Internally, that, that those tokens then get reconstituted back into delegations, and they are managed by what we call delegation uh, buckets, which themselves are interchain accounts. So there's a whole bunch of uh, interchain accounts used for deposits and and delegation management. Um, and we kind of rebalance things across them to make sure that the, the distribution is as equal as possible. But it's those fundamental technologies of interchain accounts and this liquid staking, uh, liquidity, liquidity staking module from Occlusion that uh, underpin Quicksilver. Now we could have done Quicksilver without liquidity staking, um, but it just you you would have had that, that uh, age-old issue of having to unstake and forego rewards before you can uh, you know, jump back into the protocol. So, so uh, Quicksilver, you know, consequently, Quicksilver can only launch after the row upgrade. I thought it was Theta, but I guess now. So, what you're telling me it's, it's actually row that will make it possible. So, Theta, yeah, Theta brings the IBC version three, so and brings in chain accounts. So, theoretically, we could uh, launch a working Quicksilver zone at that point. Once our devs done, obviously, and tested with unstaking and like the, all the all the complexities of that. Yeah, implies. exactly. You you would only in that, at that point be able to stake you know, native tokens and not existing delegations. The existing delegations it requires this liquidity staking. And the model. problem here is, by the way, it's just for like the problem is that you are unstaking, and so therefore, you know, for the duration of the onbonding period, you wouldn't get any rewards, and so you have to kind of like. Figure that out if the, the costs are worth it. Yeah, and of course you're you're not securing the network at this point as well. So if you if you unbond uh, unbond and and cut down take uh, not, uh, no you're no longer staking, then you're not securing the network and you're not uh, gaining rewards, which is exactly what we're trying to solve. Is that problem of if you want to use tokens elsewhere, you have to unstake. Uh, so I, like I want to come back to the to the interchain accounts thing, but. I was really I was a bit surprised that uh, you guys are cho choosing the interchain security route. It's it's an interesting strategy. Um, wh why why did you choose to go this route? And, and I mean, you guys could certainly attract uh, uh, you know a strong validator set uh, with with all of your your connections, I'm sure, and um, you know launch your own chain with your own security. Um, what why interchain security? 
So the the, the main uh, concept behind interchange security is obviously that you can you can share the security of another zone, another larger zone. For example, the Cosmos Hub. Now, the Cosmos Hub has currently got uh, $5.5 billion of uh, stake staked against it. Uh, and that, that gives you a, a considerable amount of security and a lot more than we would be able to get as a new chain launching at Genesis. Now, if we were to onboard uh, a whole bunch of smaller chains, um, then uh, under our invalidator set, the, the risks there are minimal. Um, if we were to start uh, onboard the Cosmos Hub with a low market cap and then uh, essentially a, a significant amount of atom value is then uh, essentially controlled by the Quicksilver Zone, then you know, there, there is the, there is the potential for economic attacks. And we just wanted to be able to head that off at the pass and say, no, from, from day one, we are going to have a significant uh, amount of you know, security behind the zone that's going to dwarf uh, any of kind of any locked value that we have uh, on the chain. So it's, it's purely from a security point of view. Now, obviously, there are some, some negative sides of this, of course, in that you know, we don't have our own validator set. Um, for the duration uh, of the period between Interchange Security version 1 launching and Interchange Security version 3, um, there won't be staking for the Quick Token. In, in the traditional sense, we're working on various um, solutions to, to this problem, so you, can, you should still be able to earn uh, rewards for locking up uh, Quick Tokens for, for governance purposes. Uh, we don't know exactly what it's going to look like yet. We're still working on it. But yeah, staking in the sense of staking won't exist uh, up until the Point that Interchain Security Version 3 launches. Now, Interchain Security Version 3 allows you to not only use an external validator set, but also supplement it with your own validators. And that's what we want to do uh, and eventually potentially uh, transfer to our own validator set once the, the market cap is sufficient to do so. But um, having a having that, that, that kind of big buffer of uh, security is, is critical for not only the security of the Quicksilver zone, but also all the zones we operate on. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about this, like, um, and just how interchain security is going to play out. And, um, you know, recently, a lot of, I've been talking with a lot of people about the differences between Cosmos and Polkadot, right? And so Pol Polkadot has this, um, this more of a cathedral model where the shared security is imposed and Cosmos had the more of the bizarre uh, model where, you know, interchain security was to be uh, um, you know, implemented by 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 market participants, and I, I like the kind of this 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 idea that we could have a market potentially of uh, shared security zones. Right, right now, Co the Cosmos Hub is the only, I believe, is the only chain that is meant to implement shared security. But I don't know. Let's say like uh, Osmosis or Regen decides also to implement shared security. Could a chain like Quicksilver? Uh, use or, or any other chain, you know, that's that's uh, leveraging shared security. Could they use the the shared security from different chains at once, sort of like be pegged or be, be secured by different chains, and then also maybe have their own validator sets? So we're basically, you know, a, a shared security zone is just a like a validator, a very strong one, but where you could have multiple uh, shared security chains securing a chain. Is that? In a kind of hub and spoke way. That's not my understanding of it. I, I, as far as I'm aware, and and I'm more than happy to be corrected if I'm if I'm wrong on this, and I'm sure Jahan will will mention it if I if I am wrong. But the when you uh, when you when you add shed or have a zone that is secured by shed security, you are a consumer zone. Um, you have to have that uh, parent or host zone. It's got to be a, a single zone. So the. Essentially, what happens is that every validator on the hub, for example, will run a Quicksilver um, binary, full node binary, as if they were running a validator of their own right. Uh, but they don't have any of the the key the key management setup side of it on the for, for consensus keys. Essentially, what happens is that the um, the validator set that is securing and, and signing those or signing those proposed blocks comes from the hub itself. So that the the hub essentially agrees that these blocks are valid. And, and it's valid set agrees that these, these blocks are valid and kind of sends this this proof to the the consumer chain. So that kind of interchange security version one is such that we we essentially end up consuming the entire hub validator set. I think version two of interchange security then allows you to lease just a subset of that validator set. 
Um, so you know, if you if you're a, if you're a smaller zone and you only want only only require a billion dollars of security, as if that's a small number, yeah, and, and you don't need to essentially pay for five and a half times that security, then you don't need to. Uh, Interchange security version three then essentially allows you to supplement uh, either the full validator set as in version one or as a subset with your own validators. And that's kind of where we want to get to in the long term is, is once once Interchange Security version three is is released um, and we may certainly hope to, to dedicate some resources to kind of getting that over the line um, as and when time permits. Yeah, we, we want to we want to have our own validator set. We absolutely want to have our own validator community. I think it's it's a strong core piece of any um, of any Cosmos SDK chain. And I think that there's no reason why over time, once the zone is is bootstrapped and it's doing well and the, the market cap is sufficient, why you, you know, there's there's no reason to be dependent on chain security forever. Um, but certainly for the the short term future, it is the it's the safest route for for everyone involved. So yeah, interchain security feels like a. It feels to me like it's it's a useful bootstrapping mechanism. I'm curious how that will play out long term, and when chains start having their own validator sets, if it will be economical for them to still continue paying for interchain security. Um, I, I don't know if if there's any like good opinions uh, in the space about what this might end up looking like because it's so new, right? Like um, I've heard, I've heard different opinions about it. Yeah. So I definitely feel that um, it, it, it's probably not going to make sense for most zones to have the entire validator set and their own validators as well. Like, they, they, I mean, that, that's, you're, you're paying for an awful lot of security at that point. I definitely foresee that at some point uh, zones paying for a subset of, of the hubs validator power and plus, plus their own validators on top of that is is a useful mechanism to supplement that that, that security. If you find yourself in a situation where you know, your, the, the value locked on your chain is more than the market cap of the chain, um, just to, to kind of you know, put off any any potential um, <laughs> economic attackers. Yeah, well, I think I think we haven't mentioned here, and that bears reminding is that. As a consumer of a shared security chain, the validators, um, you don't automatically get all of the validators of that chain. Uh, the validators have to choose to uh, validate your chain. And so it's at best, you know, all of the chain, but, uh, you know, probably more like a subset of the validators will choose to validate those chains, to, to validate the, the consumer chains. Yeah, I think I think that opt-in, opt-out comes with version two of interchain security. Um, version one is 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 the whole validator set or nothing, and obviously, uh, if if through governance the hub the hub votes to onboard Quicksilver as an interchain security consumer, um, and and for whatever reason validators then decide that they don't want to participate and choose not to run a binary, they'll find themselves being slashed for downtime uh, as a result of that. I suspect. So, um, yeah, I think I think version one is going to be very much. Uh, now it's, it's early stage, obviously it's, it's going to be in new tech, but it's, it's all or nothing. You don't get that choice on, on either side of the fence. Um, Interchain version two gives you a lot more choice over uh, whether you want to participate from a, from a hub validator perspective um, and also whether you want everyone to participate from a consumer chain perspective. Hmm. How closely are you working with the, the Cosmos hub team? Um, are, are you involved in the... In, in, um bring some of your work upstream or um so there is a, a specific piece of work that we are um working with at the moment uh with with jack and some of the other guys who are um playing around with some, some of this cross-chain stuff so we, one one thing that is is required for in uh, for quicksilver to work properly uh, is what we call interchain queries and this is something that has been kind of discussed on and off a few times, and there's never really been a use case for it until now. Um, but essentially, we uh, within chain accounts, obviously, we can control, we can submit transactions to an account on uh, on the remote chain. But actually, there's, there's no way using IBC to say what is the balance of my account. Now, actually, because it's a query and you're not submitting any data to that chain, it would be an incredibly inefficient and expensive. Uh, way of doing things if you were to submit a transaction to that chain every single time you wanted some data. So interchain queries 
are uh, essentially half an IBC transaction where you um, submit a query to or emit the query to the relayer. The relayer then queries an RPC interface, gets the data returned, gets the cryptographic proof of uh, that, no, that data's authenticity returned. Um, it then packages that up, sends it back to your chain as a transaction where you can consume it for whatever you need it for. So we use it for for balances, for um, rewards balances, for our delegate for our delegations. We use it just to kind of just do some sanity checking that uh, all the delegations that originate from our delegation accounts actually match up with our own internal records, um, just as a, as a, as a fail safe. Um, and obviously, when when it comes to people making deposits to the deposit account, uh, we you know, we 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 essentially watch that account for inbound transfers so that we can see when those uh, those, those delegations hit and we can handle them appropriately. So this, this whole concept of interchain queries that hasn't really uh, been a thing at the moment, we're kind of working at the front of that um, with, say, with Jack Zamplin and, and there's been some other folks involved as well. Um, and hopefully that will get uh, wrapped into the, the Go Real layer uh, before too long. But there's obviously a whole bunch on the uh, IBC spec side to, to nail down to make sure that it's, something that's going to be consistently implemented everywhere. But yeah, hopefully that, that, that code will get pushed uh, upstream sooner rather than later, and we'll have a, uh, a nice, consistent uh, uh, implementation of it for everyone to use. And so with regards to interchain accounts, the, um, the way that Quicksilver uses interchain accounts is it uh, effectively, you know, the stake that is uh, on the host chain. So say so we have Adam's, those I, you know, I've got some staked atoms. Uh, I want to, um, I want to participate in liquid staking. So I will use the liquid staking module. Uh, well, the liquid staking module, once enabled, will will provide me a uh, a staking derivative that represents my stake. One uh, once I've got that, I, I I put it into Quicksilver, and then with interchain accounts, you're able to interchain accounts will be used to control that stake, whether it has, whether it's like governance, for example, like participating in governance, um, you'll use interchain accounts to be able to send messages to the other chain. Um, what else? Like unstaking, I guess. Uh, what, but what, what the interchain accounts essentially is allows you to control the stake that is locked on the other chain. Yeah. So, so the, the, essentially the delegation or the tokenized delegation um, is controlled by this interchain account. The interchain account is then able to do delegations, undelegations, um, uh, withdraw, withdrawing uh, rewards, and then obviously delegating, uh, auto compounding those rewards, which we do on, on an epochly basis. Voting governance. Oh, that's cool. So you're, you're going to do auto compounding? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so essentially, a, a Q atom and an atom, uh, when the zone, when when a zone is first onboarded, there will be a one to one. Um, essentially ratio between the values of these uh, assets. Um, those assets will differ uh, as soon as that first epoch has uh, has hit and we, we, we draw the rewards and we recompound them, then the, uh, the the Q assets then essentially have a greater number of underlying atoms that, that they represent. So that ratio changes. When you want to kind of cash out your, your original assets, you burn your, your Q atoms, um, you will then get the number of Q atoms you held times this what we call redemption rate, which is obviously now greater than one, uh, and then you'll get one no, one point zero something uh, atoms per Q atom back again. So you, you you get your your original capital back plus um, any any rewards that have been gained on that um, on that capital in the in the meantime. Um, slashing works in the same way in that uh, you know, if if there is a slashing event um, on on any of the accounts. Any of the delegation accounts or any of the delegations uh, that Quicksilver controls, that that slashing event will cause this redemption rate to be reduced. So you then uh, post slashing you, where if you came came to cash in your Q atoms, you'll get slightly less uh, atoms back as a result of that slashing event. But that by by virtue of this redemption rate, uh, it means that both rewards and risk are are socialized across uh, all users of, uh, of Quicksilver. So actually, um, regardless of whilst you can signal which validators you want to use, uh, want your your stake to be staked with, you get the same reward regardless of uh, of who you stake with. So you're, you're, you you essentially you get a proportional um, 
uh, return from the the rewards that the entire protocol withdraws for that epoch. As a as a token holder, again, I like to put myself in the perspective of like the user and what what this is going to look like from like from the user's perspective. So I've got some staked atoms. Let's say okay, a hundred every every epoch those atoms get um, compounded, and so therefore whatever Q atoms I I I had access to, so the you know hundred Q atoms I had access to when I delegated at first. Uh, well, there's more atoms. In in the you know in being delegated there, then I have Q atoms. Uh, am I as a user? Can I just say like, will that show up in my wallet where I can now take those Q atoms and, and move them out? Um, or yeah, is that is that how it works? Yeah. So if you if you uh, if you if you hold your Q atoms um, uh, and you you, know, you want to exit your position, you essentially you submit a transaction um, called a message redemption request. Uh, you specify the number of Q atoms you want to burn, and then you're, you, know, you, you essentially get credited back the requisite number of atoms, you know, i.e. Your, your original collateral plus any rewards you've earned in the meantime, um, and sad, sadly minus any any slashing that's happened, uh, unfortunately as well. But um, yeah, you essentially yeah you, you get back this redemption rate times whatever you burn, basically. What's this going to look like? I mean, what's you know, what's the user interface? Um, will it be integrated into Kepler, or will you have kind of your own website, uh, web app, uh, with which, which, which you connect with, where you connect with Kepler? What's the UX look like? Yeah, so at the moment, this is kind of very early stage, um, but there will be a, a web app for sure. That's that's absolutely uh, guaranteed. That web app, um, you'll be able to essentially manage any via via Kepler, be able to manage any uh, chain on which we have onboarded. So, if you want to on on, on any any onboarded chain, you want to convert your existing stake uh, and move it over to Quicksilver and mint some Q assets for that chain, um, it, and it should be a in theory a, a two signature uh, job, I think. Yeah, you do, you do the declaration and the transfer. So it's yeah, two signatures to um, to get that, uh, or two transactions to get that to get onboarded. Um, and then once you're onboarded, um, there'll be there'll be places uh, or there'll be pages within that application to do governance on that that remote chain. Obviously, to do governance on our on the on the Quicksilver chain as well. That's going to be a key part of of running the chain is, is making sure that you know, we're voting to do things like uh, you know, tweak parameters if if. We want to you know, decide to do different portions of rewards or whatever um, uh, to onboard new zones. So every new new zone that we onboard and every airdrop that gets um, put through will, will be uh, the result of a governance proposal. So that you know, quick quick token holders will get to choose to, uh, how how the how the chain progresses. Um, and then the other plan is to uh, we, we're in the process of speaking to a whole bunch of DeFi projects in the space around using Q assets as essentially base. Base collateral for for those projects. So whether that's um, lending protocols, or whether it's uh, put, put in liquidity pools, or whether it is synthetics exchanges, any of these things where you can use where you can currently use kind of native as, uh, assets as as collateral, we want to be able to offer Q assets as collateral for these things as well. Yeah, in the same way that you can use like SD ETH in Aave or like uh, absolutely yeah. exactly the same. Yeah. Um, so yeah, all those integrations will be. Uh, integrated into application as well, so that we um, can then yeah, all those use cases for Q assets. You, we have one one single place that you can access everything that you could want to do with a with a with a Q atom um, in one place. Is is the plan? Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll kind of see how that evolves over time. You know, the DeFi use cases for this here are okay. So you know, you can use your Q assets to. Uh, as collateral in a in a lending protocol, uh, you could probably also participate in liquidity pools. Are there other because of the architecture of Cosmos and the way that each chain is 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 application specific? Are there other use cases that Quicksilver enables that are Cosmos specific? This is this is where I would normally defer to Vish and uh, and ask him what the answer is. I mean, there's nothing that springs to mind. I think fundamentally for me, it's the, the, the initial or the, uh, the early vision for Quicksilver is 
is to be able to use these assets as essentially the DeFi base pairs for Cosmos ecosystem. Um, but, but I mean, I guess who, who knows what comes out in the long term of, of the zone? Um, in theory, anywhere where you are able to use uh, these these Q assets for no, sorry, wherever, anywhere where we are able to use native assets, you should be able to use Q assets uh, other than staking, uh, native staking. Like you should be able to use Q assets. Um, it's, it's, it's worth it's worth mentioning the other than staking thing because we had various questions around you know, what's the risk of of kind of rehypothecation of, of assets and, and restaking uh, Q assets and things, but obviously you, you can't you can't you can't stake a Q atom on the on the Cosmos Hub. So um, directly, there is no kind of rehypothecation risk there. Yeah, yeah, of course that that wouldn't make any sense. Um, you know, one, one thing one thing that um, I think is a bit problematic and we see this, you know, I think Sonny was talking about this, uh, with the whole like SIF chain bridge debate around osmosis was the, um, the legibility of, uh, of having all of the derivative assets sort of on one in a, uh, swapping pro like in an AMM. And it's like for, for a user, it creates so much complexity to have, you know, all these UST in US, uh, UST, USDC, USDT tokens, um, staked assets, etc. And well, one thing he he mentioned, which uh, I wasn't aware of, is that like on Binance, um, you you just trade US dollars, and and whatever underlying assets is you know uh, obscured for the user, and then you can withdraw whatever asset you want. Uh, do you do you think that there are uh, ways that will allow us to arrive at this kind of user experience uh, in on-chain apps? Because um, it feels like it's unsustainable to have you know, a million different assets that represent the same thing. Maybe one differentiation would be to have like the native asset and like with the derivatives, but at, at least you know be uh, a little bit more legible. I guess there's potentially potential ways around it by, I mean, I think there's been discussions in the past by having kind of these, these multi-dimensional uh, liquidity pools where you, know, you can put in a uh, a Q asset and take out, a, oh, sorry, a Q atom and you can take out a a P-staked atom or stake atom, whatever the, whatever the, the terminology there is. Um, and essentially, you're not changing the value of the pool. You are just swapping one asset for another. But this pool just consists of different, uh, derivations of atom um, from different providers. I mean, they're all going to have roughly the same value. I mean, plus or minus uh, yeah, some 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 element. I guess it, it probably doesn't work so well with with Q assets um, because the Q asset because the Q assets aren't pegged to the underlying asset. You have this redemption rate. I mean, that model maybe doesn't work quite so well. So there's yeah, there's a I think there's there are probably ways around it that, that involve uh, clever things like that. Another potentially interesting solution is something that, that uh, we've been just thinking about internally for a while in, in, in a slightly different uh, feature. And, and Zaki kind of mentioned it on, um, on Splitting the Atom a few weeks ago, is, is these uh, concept of, of indices. So you, know, you could have a, uh, I mean, again, essentially, essentially synthetic, not synthetic, but like staked, staked atom index that where the, the constituent parts of the index are different um, representations of atom that are staked through different parties. So potentially there is, and then, uh, then, then that becomes a uh, the, the main pair. Um, I think that's largely going to depend on how many of these uh, protocols are successful, um, how many kind of just end up being small and, and unused and how, how dominant the larger ones are. Um, now, I, I, what, I don't, I don't want a, uh, a scenario where Quicksilver is the only liquid staking solution and it wins outright. And because it doesn't, you know, it, whilst it's great for for everyone involved in the in the project, actually long term, it's it's somewhat detrimental to the entire end, to the ecosystem as a whole. And and, it, and it also in terms of how can we create the best product product for the end users, that comes through competition more than more than anything else. So. Um, now, if, if if there ends up being two or three kind of dominant liquid staking solutions for 
the the interchain ecosystem. I think that, that everything becomes stronger, but the, the ecosystem and the uh, and the individual products all become stronger as a result of that. So I think uh, there, there there will be some some form of, of financial product, whether it's index based or whether it's uh, these kind of multifaceted AMMs that uh, that end up making users' life a bit easier when it comes to um, swapping between different different uh, representations of, of atoms and other, other staking tokens. Yeah, I think it's so necessary. I mean, especially as DeFi starts making its way into more traditional financial products or even kind of fintech products, you know, we're going, we're going to need um, these, these sort of indices, right, or like tokens that um, are... Just interchange where where there, there's there's no uh, there's no issue around interchangeability and it, it, it kind of comes down to interoperability right like you want all of your USD tokens to be interoperable and um, and I think you know if we're all building in the Cosmos ecosystem it's because we believe in interoperability it's not only just on the transactional aspect but it's also like tokens should be interoperable when they represent the same thing yeah I mean it's it, it's 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 the, it's the fundamental fungibility question again isn't it it's it's no, the, the early implementations or the, the early POCs of liquid staking were like you, did, you didn't have this fungibility between validators, and that was problematic because, again, you have you know, atoms should be fungible with other atoms, um, and it's it's the same problem. It's just on, on one 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 layer removed. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think, it, but it's the same problem that, as you said that, that faces stable coins currently, and that you have you know, five different types of USD uh, at the very least. Um, and I mean, for, from from a end user perspective, if we ever want. Like a decent uh, amount of, of non-technical adoption, like having USDT and USDC and, and UST and God knows what else, um, doesn't really doesn't really help uh, and aid our goal. So, how much? Uh, I mean, we, we talked a while ago about the five point five billion dollars worth of staked assets that uh, that Quicksilver uh, makes, you know, liquid. How, how much? How much extra liquidity will will Quicksilver bring to the ecosystem? Um, when it launches, and what's the what? What do you think is the target, or where do you think this can go to? I mean, yeah, it's, it's a hard one. I, obviously, the five point five billion was was uh, was Cosmos alone. So, you know, across across the entire IBC space currently, it's, it's I think forty billion. Um, that is is down quite a lot from our kind of when we when we first started looking at this towards the end of last year. Obviously, num- numbers were bigger, although chain, the number of chains are smaller. But actually, I mean, as as the chain. As, as the number of chains connected to IBC increases, now you, you start looking at the numbers of like 100, 200 plus chains, and, and we, we're talking hundreds of billions of dollars of, of increased liquidity that not just Quicksilver, but liquid staking as a whole kind of brings to the table. And you know, if, if we want to have this, this massive DeFi boom similar to what we saw in Ethereum a couple of years ago, we, we need to have that. That liquidity. Now, the flip side of it, of course, is it's not just the increased liquidity. It's it's actually we can also start going towards a hundred percent stake supply because if everything is liquid, uh, you don't need to not stake it anymore to be able to use it. So you could you could potentially you know we, we can we can increase security and increase liquidity at the same time. It's it's not one or the other. Um, in terms of how much will Quicksilver do? Oh, amazing. that's a hard question. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I would be absolutely <laughs> stoked if we had like no ten ten percent of of uh, a decent sized chain uh, on something like Quicksilver. Um, now, I think I think obviously this, the, the, as it starts getting much bigger than that, the questions need to start being asked around uh, centralization, of course, um, and how we how we avoid those kind of issues. Um, but at the same time, if you if you're then Control. Your zone is controlled by 100 validators. There is there's uh, there's protocol risk, but I think the risk of, of having one individual party run away with uh, the the the, uh, the prize isn't isn't a concern. Um, but yeah, no, it, it, it does raise a whole bunch of other questions around uh, how how big can a liquid staking protocol get safely get um, that will I'm sure will come out and and will have to be answered in the long term. Uh, <laughs> look look forward to those. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm also looking forward for, you know, competition in the space. I, you know, I, I think that competition will only make, um, everything better and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll make every, every, every protocol, uh, compete for like a better, better product, better UX. Um, so yeah. Um, 
I think, uh, yeah, I think we covered most of it. Um, we're at an hour and 10 minutes. Um, yeah. Thanks. Um, thanks for doing this. And I'm like really, really happy to, to be, uh, yeah, to be taking part in, um, in this, uh, this adventure. Um, and, uh, happy to help you guys any way I can. And, um, well, yeah, look forward to having this come out in June. I think June is the June is the release date, right? Or is when you're targeting to launch? Yeah, late, late, late June was the original intended release date. Um, it looks like it's because of the the row release isn't due isn't stated until the end of June. Whilst the row release doesn't block uh, Quicksilver from launching, obviously any any changes you want to on board do need to have this uh, this this release or the rather the constituent parts of this release integrated now there's there's in a lot of cases the liquidity staking module is already being audited so assuming that uh it goes through without a hitch like there's no reason for the chain has to wait until 0.46 it will just make integration much easier if they do so um potentially it could be it could still be uh june time i think likelihood is that it's going to be um july 